Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Morning, Rob. Welcome to the Launch Indonesia Podcast. Good morning, Eric. <laughs> How are you doing, Rob? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, Rob and I just had a quick uh, well, conversation before we started on, um, on what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've known each other for quite a long time, but in... Uh, this setting, uh, we're going to talk about your newest venture. But before we get there, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about you know how you ended up in Indonesia because you don't sound Indonesian, and from the <laughs> looks of it, you don't look like an Indonesian. So, okay, what so. happened in your life to end up in in Jakarta? So, what happened was that uh, I'd had several business ventures in the UK. Um, one of them was quite interesting, which we were the forerunners of. Um, changing left-hand vehicles to right-hand vehicles in the UK. And uh, we used to buy them in Europe, bring them over, change them over, and then uh, and then sell them. And because of the price difference, we made quite a bit of money on that. And also, uh, we could sell them for about uh, £2,000 cheaper than uh, out of Fords. They got pretty <laughs> miffed about that. And so uh, they changed the law, actually, and stopped the importation of vehicles from... Uh, uh, from Europe on a purely uh, personal basis. You only do two a year now. And of course, we were doing about 20 a week at the time. So after that, I took a bit of holiday and I w- went to work for a company called Cannon Street Investments, PLC. And they were a company that bought distressed companies, uh, basically spun them around and uh, chopped them up and flogged them off. So, uh, one of them, they changed direction. I went, I was on the engineering side and they went more into hotels and I didn't really fancy hotels at all. Um, just the whole, uh, 24 hour business and all. <laughs> didn't like that at all. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. So I said, well, I'd like to leave. And they said, yeah, okay, but you know, uh, what do you want? And I said, well, there's a company I'm working on in Coventry, which I think has got somewhere to go. And so if you let me take that on, I'll count that as a sort of cheerio present. And they said, yeah, okay. So I bought it off them for a pound. I took the debt on, which was about a hundred thousand, about a hundred thousand pounds, I think. And within about 18 months, we had it turned around. It was going really, really well. And we sold it to a a massive engineering group. And I was a bit cocky at the time. (laughs) And I said to them, I want the money in full. I'm not paying tax. You have to pay the tax. And they said, yeah, sure, sure, no, no problem. So I went to get the check off them. And they said, you have to do this on the tax year, on the turn of the tax year. First one on the 31st and the next one on the second. So I went and picked up the first check. They said, no tax on it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's no problem. Lovely. So then I went and picked the second one up. And I said, oh, great. It's all done. And they said, oh, well, one slight thing here. You... Uh, you don't want to pay the tax, right? I said, no. They said, well, you better leave the country then. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> they said, yeah, because then you don't pay the tax, right? If you're an expatriate, you don't pay. Okay. So uh, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? <laughs> but I was pig-headed. I didn't want to pay the tax. So I uh, I called one of my best friends who wasn't working, and I said, we got money. Let's go. So uh, we went off to... Uh, we were going to go to Hawaii, but then we finished up in Puerto Escondidos in Mexico. <laughs> and we thought, we looked at a surf magazine and thought it was uh, <laughs> thought it was a nice beach. It turns out it was the biggest beach break in the whole world. <laughs> and we just spent, oh, I don't know, months getting hammered by surf there. 
I mean, just breaking boards. But, you know, getting drunk and doing nothing all day. So then a couple of German guys said, you boys are going to get killed if you hang around here. Mm. You know, you need to go somewhere that's a little bit a little bit more <laughs> in line with your abilities. <laughs> we said, where's that? They said, Indonesia. When was this? Where? So that'll be 27 years ago. Okay. So I said, where the hell's Indonesia? <laughs> and um, they said, oh, it's near Australia. We thought, oh, that's all right. They've got waves in Australia, for sure. Right. So we went and bought a map, a world map, and we found Indonesia. And we basically flew over. We got here. Uh, we jumped into some sort of uh, private vehicle that took us down to Plum and Ratu, which is where they said you should go. And they were right. I mean, the waves were lovely down there compared to back there. Now, Plum and Ratu's here on Java, right? A bit yeah. south of, uh, about 100 kilometers south of yeah, Jakarta. Yeah, straight down, basically. Right. Straight down. So, um, yeah, we got there and, and the island life. And, you know, I once felt uh, uh, very comfortable here, you know, uh, especially because where I come from, it's cold all the time. And here it's lovely. And, um, yeah, so we hung out here for about two months, which I think was the visa you could have back then. We stayed at a little beach hut with a family, an Indonesian family. We paid nothing. It was like 20 quid, I think, for the month, you know, with food. <laughs> rice and fish, uh, fish and rice, or uh, occasionally chicken and rice. Yeah. <laughs> But it was great. We had a wonderful time here. And then somebody said, oh, you should go to Jakarta. We said, oh, I heard bad things about Jakarta. You know, they said, no, come on, come on, let's go. We'll go for the weekend. So we went, and then I fell in love with this place. It was just like, wow, what a city this is. But that is. was already, I mean, I've been here a long time too. Even in those days, uh, people can't really uh, notice it, but that was really the start of the, the economy here and cool, of, of yeah. businesses and of you know uh, we we were there were quite some foreigners already in those days here uh, it was already it started to get that way i mean it was just back in 94 95 so it was it was on a growth you could see it was on a growth but the big foreign input really hadn't come right. and the thing i you know the thing i felt when i was walking around is wow there's some opportunity here okay back in the uk it was pretty you know depressed and uh And I saw all these buildings going up all over the place and everything, all this stuff happening. I thought, wow. And I love the people and, uh, and I love spicy food. So I was like, I'm coming back here. Right. So I literally went to the UK for two days because you're only allowed in for, I think for six weeks in a year, two days, packed suitcase, came back. <laughs> and that was, that was the extent of it really. And then I never left. Right. And uh, I mean, were you, because you were mentioning uh, back in the UK, you were very entrepreneurial already, right? You yeah. started, sold a business already. Yeah. Was that immediately the same thing you did here? No, because um, I've got a little bit of money then, so I wasn't really in particular hurry to work. I've never been uh, a sort of, uh, I like to enjoy life, yeah? So, but you, you really don't think about money. Silly, I didn't think about it back then. It was like, it seemed always to come pretty easily, whatever I did. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, I suppose I took about two years off, <laughs> just basically did nothing. Um, but I had a great time, a really great time. Got to know a lot of people, got to know the city. Um, it was a very vibrant social life back then. Um, so you could lose days, weeks and months, basically, you know, and then suddenly one day I thought, God, I better do some work. And, uh. I got hooked up with uh, Bechtel, who was really the start of where the government were doing the KSO, the Kyrgyzstan Operasi, and they had uh, foreign telcos coming in, working with Telcom. 
And the Bechtel had a problem because nobody spoke Indonesian. By that time, I was reasonably fluent. You spent uh, two years uh, practicing. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, and um, and so they had this massive staff. They they came over. This massive staff, and nobody could talk to anybody because not many of the Indonesians could speak English. So they said, uh, "I'll never forget it." The interview I had, uh, I met a guy in the pub the night before, and he said, "Oh, we need somebody like you, you know, who can speak Indonesian." Because I was ordering drinks and stuff, and <laughs> he says. Um, Oh, we need you. So I went and literally the, my interview was uh, with the guy that hired me, Greg Stevens, lovely man. He said, uh, if you can get me a cup of coffee that's got milk in it <laughs> and not loads of little brown floaty bits in the top, he said, you're hired. So I went out and had a word with his secretary. And, uh, she said, oh, I thought he liked it. <laughs> so, so anyway, I got him back his coffee. He said, you're hired. I don't know what we're going to do with you, but you're hired. And so they made me the, the best job title I've ever had in my life, the Knowledge Transfer Manager. Okay. And I thought, which way is the knowledge going here? <laughs> it was quite extraordinary um, because the Americans always like to do stuff by the book. You know, there was the procedures and, this, and the Indonesians just like to get the job done. And so there was always a bit of a, uh, a clash of cultures. There. And Bechtel was an American company. Yeah, big one. It's the largest privately owned construction company in the world. Um, so uh, there was some, but I basically became the middleman. So I go out to the various projects and, and say, what's the problem? And then the Americans want us to do this and it's stupid because we could do that and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so I, you know, it was classic. I mean, one thing that sticks in my mind was um, the Americans came along and said, uh, you can't string cable through trees. You know, you've got to bury it. You've got to, you've got to be one meter deep. It's got to be this, got to be that, got to be the other. And, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I said this to the Indonesian guys. They said, no, no, no. It's perfectly proper. I said, really? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. So they got me the telecom standards book. And in the telecom standard book, there is a standard for the size of branch, <laughs> the cable tie you use, and the amount of cable you could put through a tree. Right. So I went back to Mary and said, this is perfectly acceptable work. Right. And they went, huh. Okay, well, it saves us a fortune, so let's yeah, yeah. get, you know, let's do it. And, um, uh, yeah, so I had a great time there, really, really great time. And, um, and then the, the, the crisis hit and sort of it all went a bit south here in terms yeah. of the riots. 1978. Yeah. Yeah. So the riots came along and, uh, again, the Americans said, uh, well, we all have to move out because, uh, you know, there's, uh, the liability issues. Mm -hmm. And because I was a local employee, They said, do you mind staying? I said, I wasn't going anyway. I was going, I was staying here. Anyway. So they said, well, you're now in charge of Bechtel Indonesia. So I became country manager overnight. Okay. <laughs> so the Americans fled and you were the one in charge. Yeah, well, they went to Singapore, right? So, okay. uh, yeah, so they left me here. So I had pick of the offices and, uh, right. anyway, and basically all we did was shut down liabilities. So like all the rental properties, right? you know, they're very conscious of liabilities, these guys. Yes. Yeah, so. Yeah. You know, uh, get people to sign off. Okay, you can keep the rest of the rent, you know, whatever right. it is, blah, blah, blah. And then sign off with the Indonesian partners here about how much work was done, how much wasn't done, what was paid, what was, wasn't paid. So had a very happy year actually doing that, traveling all around the country, <laughs> and, uh, giving people back money, and, and it was great. Yeah. Every time. So, and and th that was 95, 97. You've been in in the telco landscape as well, right? So Yes. Uh, so when I when they left, and they said to me, well, we're going to close down the next right. office after about a year and a half or something. Um, and so they said, um, uh, do you want to come to Brazil? I think it was. They said, we'll put you in Brazil because you know, we're a good bloke. 
And I said, well, I don't really fancy that, but I'll go away on holiday and think about it. So I went to Bali for the weekend. And when I came back, there was a message on my phone then, because obviously we didn't have mobiles back then. And the phone was, uh, my answer phone had got a bleep, bleep, bleep. And it was a friend of mine from Excelcom. Mm. And he said, oh, we hear that you're out of, you know, you're out of contract with them. And, uh, and there's a position here because our guy is going. So would you like to come? And I said, yeah. So yeah, I had a very happy seven, eight years. I can't even remember yeah. how long it's I was there. That's also where we met. That's so, where we met. Uh, yeah, right. I used to work there as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that, that was your, your telco and your, your entrepreneurial journey. And I think if I am correct after Excel, because what I'm, what I'm, what I didn't know is that actually you were very early on already into entrepreneuring when yeah. I hear the starting story of selling that company. Yeah. Uh, you were sort of in a in a, uh, a job for yeah. quite a while here, enjoying yeah. life, uh, being quite relaxed about everything. But then, then after that, the whole entrepreneurial thing started again with you, right? Yeah, it did. <laughs> so, how did that come about? Why did you decide to uh, move away from the paycheck as an expat uh, well, to it, it was, again running it, your own? Yeah, your own it was ventures? kind of forced on us, really. All of us at Excel Club, we were quite happy with our lives and well paid, and everything was done right. for us. It was a great company. And then, of course, Excel uh, sold or yes. they got ready to sell. And in the process, the Malaysians, I think it was, that yeah. bought them just didn't want the expats. And so right. we all, one way or another, left. Right. And. Uh, Again, I wasn't short of money, so I was just sitting around thinking, oh, I might have another six months off here. <laughs> and so I had about, yeah, maybe five or six months off. And then a friend of mine who runs a direct sales company said, oh, why don't you come on board with me and, you know, let's, let's make this a more corporate company. And so, uh, you know, I spent four or five years with him then. Uh, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult because he very much liked to have his own way and it was his, his company. And I said, uh, at the end of it, I said, I don't really think you're ready to have what you think you want, which is, right. you know, a corporate thing, which has policies and, yes, and you know, yeah. you can't do that in this business. You don't want to do this in this business, your show, you know. Yes. And so I don't think there's any place for me here. <laughs> and so I left. <laughs> right. And then, but sometimes, Rob, you know, I've recently had this experience myself. Sometimes uh, it's it takes the fear of both sides to just address the issue that is clearly in front of both of us. Right, the elephant in the room. The, well, the <laughs> elephant in the room, but you know, in a business relationship, it could sometimes be you know unspoken expectations. It could mm -hmm. be all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Right, and the person that breaks through that, in this case, you, just confronting this situation, yeah. sometimes creates very positive momentum for everybody. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the thing was that. Uh, I think the day when you don't look forward to going into work is the day you stop going into work. Yeah. You know, and whether that, I mean, it was pretty scary back then because I had no clue what I was going to do. And so where did you pick up this vibe that you, you seem to always have the spirit of things will be all right. Yeah. And I, as long as I know you, that's how you've been. Yeah. You, you seem to not care, but I know you care deeply mm -hmm. about people and about things that happen in your life. Sure. But you have this attitude towards life and to business and towards <laughs> money, I think, that is like, why, you know, it's going to be all right again. So where, how did you get that? And, and how can you sustain that in times of I've trouble always, and distress? I've always, always, always in my life had this thing where if you want something hard enough, you'll get it. And, and I don't know whether there's a... You know, I'm not a spiritual person, as you know. I'm not a religious person, particularly. Um, but oh, I do well, I believe think you are spiritual. You might spiritually, not be religious. Spiritually, that's the wrong word. You're right. So I, I feel that there is a force out there that you can tap into every now and again that delivers. You know, and if you really, really want something, 
um, it will come. And so what, but it's a matter of, you know, it's a matter of focusing on actually what it is you want. If you just think, oh, I want money, you know, it won't come. Mm. But if you think, oh, you know, I want money for this or I want to do this, then somehow it always seems to work out for me. So is it, is the driver always the money or is the driver also? It's life actually. It's, you know, I don't want to be doing something I don't want to do. I mean, the older you get, the, the more precious time becomes because it's the one thing you can't buy, yeah. you know, so uh, you really, for me, I really want to continue to enjoy every moment. And if I'm not enjoying it, then find something else to do. Um, Where does know. that come from? Where does the, the, the will, or not the will, the drive to, because I know you, and you, you, <laughs> you really try to draw every last inch of energy out of life. And, you know, that has to do with, you know, how you live, how you, how you work, but also... You know, you have an enormous stamina. You can work long hours and still mm. hang out late at night and yeah. come back. To the, what always surprised me, you were always back the next day early in the morning. So sure. you have this, seem to have this continuous energy to put I into think, everything you do. How, where think, does that come from? I think that when you're doing things you love to do, I don't think it particularly saps your energy. It's when you're okay. doing stuff that you don't want to do that you really start to get tired and you really start to get you know, depressed. And, and that's, stress is a big drainer of energy uh and it also knocks your positivity around yeah you know i don't do stuff i don't want to and i'm, I'm kind of self-centered like that so if someone says oh come on you know let's go here and do this and do that I'm, if i don't want to i don't do it um and so i try really really hard to do stuff i want to do and so if i if i'm enjoying my work i'll throw myself into it and and if i if you know there's a i go out late at night because i want to go out late at night I have four or five hours sleep and I bounce out of bed. I'm ready to go again. So, okay, that, that's the life part. I understand that. And where does this, uh, where, where is your uh, relaxedness about your financial situation come from? Mm. Not, not, you, you, you hardly seem very worried about <laughs> income, money. Well, there's a, there's a great story. My dad always said to me, he said, uh, you know, if you owe the bank a hundred pounds, you've got a problem. If you owe a million, They've got a problem. Right. And I kind of think that, uh, uh, that we can stress too much. Uh, uh, today, life is, is, there's a lot of pressure on people to do certain things because they should, because social media pushes that way, because advertisers push you that way. And you can get lost in the plot and find yourself in all sorts of financial mess because you followed something you thought would make you happy. And at the end of the day, you know, it didn't. So... I know what makes me happy and I try to focus on those things. And, and you know, the thing about stress is you stress about something, it won't change it. Hmm. It, it makes no difference at all. So why bother? Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, when you're on your, you know, when you're on your backside, you know, I'm lucky to have really, really good friends. And, you know, every now and again, when I do something that doesn't work, there's always someone there to say, you know, I'll see you out of the hole this time. And, and then, miraculously once that happens suddenly you gain momentum again you pay them back and you're off again and so you know it's not about you know if everybody falls over right it's how quickly you get back up and i just purely believe there's absolutely no point in in feeling depressed about something or stressing about something because it doesn't improve the situation mm -hmm. and if you're positive and if you've got a plan And sometimes I don't have, but it's just I should wing it. But if you do have a plan, then you'll finally start working to that plan or that goal, uh, and stuff will happen. It just comes along. You just really, 
I can't emphasize that enough. I spend very, very little time feeling sorry for myself or, or stressed about the situation I'm in. Uh, you know, I was just looking this morning. Uh, you know, we need money in the in the company right now to to do some development stuff, and I was, oh, you know, wondered where I'm going to get that from, and pop it just popped into the account this morning. So uh, again, I wasn't bothered about it. How important for those situations is it that you have a good reputation with everything you've left behind? Uh, it's massively important. I mean, it's massively important, I think, in life period that, um, that you, you know, whether you succeed or fail, you, you, you treat people in the right way, you do the right thing. Um, there is no shortcut. Uh, and if you destroy a reputation, it will come back to haunt you. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I have managed to, uh, to keep a reasonably good reputation purely and simply because I always try to do the right thing. Not necessarily, it doesn't always work out particularly brilliantly. It can cost me money at the end of the day, but it's really important to me that you do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can see that. So tell me about what are you working on now? You have uh, a startup here in Indonesia yeah. called Rob's Jobs. Well, yes. Um, I'll let you explain what it is. Uh, I was super surprised that you went into this kind of business, and I'll tell you why. Mm. Because I see you as somebody that would run a business that would have uh, the old-fashioned economics, money coming in, money mm -hmm. coming out, and the difference is for you. Right. <laughs> uh, Rob's Jobs is a, is a, a job portal. Mm -hmm. Again, you can explain later. But this is more of a longer game than uh, a quick uh, revenue in, cost out, and uh, the difference much. is for you. So yeah. what is it, and how did you... Well, first of all, it's always why it's called Rob's Jobs, but <laughs> it's not what actually. is it, what does it do? <laughs> it's not that obvious. So it started where uh, I felt that... Um, uh, there was, uh, I needed to do something different. I like learning stuff. And so, um, if you can, uh, I, I learn quickly because I, I like to learn stuff. And so I was a little bit sort of interested from the telecom days about content and about how networks work and, you know, and the, and the, the way that something, if you have a good idea and other people think it's a good idea, you know, it can really take off. But I wasn't really, I'm not really that interested in making money for money's sake, what I was really uh, more interested in was doing something worthwhile because I'm at that age where you start to think, you know, what am I doing? And um, and I was in a pub <laughs> and I was uh, playing on Tinder. And um, at the same time, I had an interest in uh, a bar and I was getting messages from people over Facebook or something, I can't remember, saying, can I have a job? Can I have a job? Can I have a job? Hmm. And uh, I thought, oh, <laughs> there you go, Tinder for jobs. Mm -hmm. And that's how it started. Right. And uh, and so I rattled around a few people, raised some cash, and then uh, met my absolutely brilliant business partner, uh, Ika, uh, who's also really keen to do something, you know, in this space, and which we knew nothing about, to be quite honest. <laughs> absolutely nothing about. And, uh, and we started on what was been a pretty wonderful journey, actually, the... Uh, you know, for, I look back at what we first came out with. It was oh, terrible. It was awful. And, uh, but we thought it was brilliant. And I look where we are now and it is brilliant. I mean, so where it, are you now? So we're, um, we go to, uh, we start, uh, charging for matches next month. 
So right. we have the payment gateway. So it's a job search app, right? People can yeah. go on there, register themselves, yeah. and you have companies that put their put their vacancies on there. Yeah, and so they can search. They cannot search. They, they, there's an algorithm that matches, if I'm not correct. mistaken, jobs to profiles, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, that's kind of it. So so we're very much in, uh, very much focused in a space where nobody else is. And this was really important to me that. Uh, you know, since I've been in Indonesia, I could hire a salesperson, a marketing person, a CEO, or a director. Well, I had trouble with it was getting a driver or a maid, uh, or in the bar waitresses or, you know, um, those people. And so, and there's a lot of them, you know, the, mm. what we would call blue collar workers, I suppose. Right. Um, and I thought well, it'd be really good if we could do something there. Which so that meant in terms of interfaces and stuff, we'd have to be uh, less technical than you know than, than normal because the education level is not only a bit less, but they're also less familiar with technology. But they're so, all using it, right? I mean, uh, handphone yeah, market way, is huge here. In a way, and, uh, in a way, because you'd say to someone, "Oh, you know, do you go on the internet?" No, you have a Facebook account. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know. So, right. so there's a, there's still a gap about you know what is and what isn't, and so. Uh, so we really wanted to, we got very passionate about it. I still am very passionate about, you know, finding work for, I, I know people who want people to do these jobs and yet, and I know thousands of people that want a job. And, you know, a lot of people, I think it has to be a way to put those two together. And so, you know, obviously by law, you can't charge uh, um, people looking for a job here like you could in other countries but uh, and rightfully so by the way because um, they do get exploited by that stuff yes. a lot of uh, a lot of scam artists you know with walk-in interviews and then they charge you 500,000 before you could come out all this sort of stuff and then I don't know if you saw that one where McDonald's had uh, a walk-in interview for three waitresses did you see that no I didn't see that six no. and a half thousand people turned up in Indonesia in Indonesia wow. And for three, th for, for waitresses or for, for three staff or whatever, you know, okay. the, the low level staff, right? There was people there with degrees and, and they stood them outside for, you know, best part of eight, ten hours in the, in the sun. And I thought, what a way to treat people. Right. You know, then the brand would say, Oh, isn't it great? We're popular. I think, well, if I was sort of one of those people, it's certainly, you know, out of 6,000 people, three of them get jobs. That's 5,997 who've got to be absolutely miffed. Um, with, uh, you know, with what they did to them. Right. And I thought, well, why wasn't there any kind of selection process before, you know, to get that down to a sensible number? Uh, but, you know, they just don't treat people right. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of brands are really not very nice to the people who use them, you know? Yeah. And they're still, I think in this country, uh, they're being looked down upon. Oh, very a much lot. so. Yeah. yeah. Because they're so. at the bottom end of the, of the, of the employment market, of simple jobs usually. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, there is a, there is a big need for these, but the, the, the impact it makes for them That's to huge. have a job that pays. It's huge. Um, uh, one person in a job can feed a family here, right? Correct. And that's, yeah. it has a yeah. huge impact on the, on, on It's the massive. Society. It's, it's a, it's a, and it's a very worthwhile thing when you see somebody get a job. You know, we've had quite a bit of feedback from people, even when our app wasn't so good, we were still finding big work. Um, and it's a really, you know, it, you think, oh, I've done something there. And yeah. to, to support it, I think recently you got support from the government on this as well, right? So, so yeah. So one of the differences about our app and, and I suppose all the other job portals in Indonesia at the moment um, is that most of those job portals are actually publishing uh, portals. They're not. So they charge you to put an advert on yes. their site. Uh, they get a heap of CVs back. 
uh, whether that be ele electronically or in paper, and then they forward those to whoever it is and say, well, pick up, you know, pick somebody out of there. They have no knowledge of which person gets the job, how many were interviewed, or anything. They and honestly, they don't care. Hmm. So when we were talking with uh, some uh, the, the manpower people, they said to us, our big problem is we don't know from the people that we have on the list of unemployed how many of those are actually getting jobs. Hmm. And, you know, and, and what we could do to make that quicker or better or anything else. And so we said, well, we can because we force an exit interview from the employer about, and it's really simple. It's just tick, tick, tick. You know, did you employ one of these candidates that you matched? You know, yes. If so, was which one was it? Just tick it. And then we know like, that person has gone through the system and out. So we're able to measure that. And we said to the government, well, we'll share that with you. And they sort of said, well, um, you know, very kindly endorsed us and, uh, and, and joined all the job platforms in one room and said, you all need to start doing this because you can't just come, especially as most of the foreign companies, you can't just come here, uh, take money from Indonesian companies and, and give nothing back. And that's one thing you should be giving back to the manpower is to say, you know, these, uh, these people got work. But more importantly for me, it's the people who didn't get work. Mm. So we can see if somebody's applied for 20 jobs and never been matched, there are government programs here for training, but they're worried about fraud, you know, just piling people off the street into a room and saying, okay, give us money. And so we're actually able to say, the jobs this guy's applying for, he has a skills gap, you know, because he's just not getting the interviews, not getting, uh, and and we can put those in batches to the government, and the government will run training courses for them. To there's a big movement to upskill a lot of people here, mm. and the workforce generally is very young here as well, yes. and yeah. so it's eager to learn. You know, they're eager to learn, and they're very talented actually in in a lot of ways. Maybe not academically, but certainly in problem-solving. I don't think I've seen a better nation in the world for problem-solving yeah. um, with very limited resources. Yeah. So, yeah, so we we, uh, we start um, next month uh, by basically charging the employees to match the candidates. They can, they, uh, and by that, I mean they get to see their full profile. So we'll do an evaluation to an algorithm that gives them a score based on what the employee wants and what they have. And then from there... There are other documentation and stuff the employee can see, but he has to pay for that. And it's real cheap. It's less than $3 anyway per person. So, you know, you basically, if you interview 10 people, it would cost you $30 at the end of the day, right. which is nothing compared to what they're charging, Yeah, what other people are paying. So you're, you're at the stage where, you know, your free service now becomes a charged service to, this, yeah. to, to a certain extent. How far along would you say you are in, in this journey with this app? How long have you been running it? And have you, you know, have you taken on uh, venture capital or investment in the company? Uh, and where, how, how long do you still see you need to grow this to uh, possibly exit the company or uh, turn it break even? Well, you know, the, the money... Uh, the money we got was basically from private investors. So right. we avoided VCs at all costs um, because Indonesia, less the, you know, uh, it's, it's, the terms for VCs here are, are just horrible. You know, they're, meaning they're really, they don't get enough equity for the money they put in, or uh, meaning that they generally don't add a lot of value other than bringing cash. Okay. You know, just so they actually what they do is they slow a company down rather really? than speed it up. I feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, from what I've seen and the stories that I hear from people that they they interfere or require unreasonable 
um, unreasonable reportings uh, and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, the most important thing when you're in a startup is you fill every hour of the day because you say, where does the journey end? I don't know. I think we've got the best version we could ever possibly have right now. But by tomorrow, I might feel different. Yes. <laughs> so, um, once we're in revenue, then it depends. You know, you say, how do we sell out? Well, I mean, once you're in revenue, once you're covering your costs, then you're in the game, right? Yes. Effectively, you're a business that's making money, and therefore somebody will be interested in buying you. Do I want to sell it? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> not yet. No, sure. Yeah. Not yet. Um, I mean, but knowing my personality, if it does become a proper business that, that's paying its bills and, and putting money aside every month, I will probably then lose interest. Mm. <laughs> so I will want to do something else, I think. Um, but it's been fantastic time. Even up to, yeah, I've just had a wonderful time doing what yeah. we're doing here. Is, uh, do you have any plans to move this to other countries? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, is, so, it, is it ready for that? No, <laughs> okay. but it will be. Um, so the final part of this was finding a, a payment method uh, that could be universal. So we've basically gone along the, the token coin uh, uh, route where, you know, you buy, you know, rather than having a fixed price for each different type of service we do, like Facebook advertising and, and first in the app and that sort of thing. We have a coin which has a nominal value, which is, you know, 39,000 uh, rupee, about $3. And then that coin, uh, that coin can be used at $3. Yes, right. Um, that coin can be used in, in multiples across the app. So if you wanted to advertise by pushing it further on our Facebook page, which has a quarter of a million people on it already, if we were to, you want to do that, you can use five coins, for instance. If you wanted to look at somebody for an overseas job, then you would pay more for that for that match, but it would be a multiple of the coins. What that means is when we transfer this to another country, it's a, instead of being rupee, it's pesos or whatever it is, but we still have a structure there that if we do revenue share or with somebody else, there's a structure there where we can track very accurately what's going on because of the traffic of coins. Okay. In building this business in Indonesia, the, the, the tech startup scene is quite booming here, right? So yeah. there's a real uh, battle for technical talent, especially. Oh, huge, huge. So how do you get the people you need to build this app and to build this technical capability? Because in the end, it is it is a very yes. There's a there's a business aspect to it of uh -huh. growing it, you know, attracting candidates, mm -hmm. attracting companies. But there's also a big technical aspect to this. And how massive, do you, how do you yeah, how do you manage to uh, have the right people to build this for you here it's, when there's such a pool by by the big you oh, know, it, tech companies? It, yeah, here? I mean, Go Jack and, and, yeah. and Tokopedia and these right. guys. I mean, they just took every, anybody who was anything and they took them. And also, they pushed up the the, the wage levels yes. for these people. And can imagine. To be fair, they, they you know they have there's an awful lot of not so good technical people being paid an awful lot of money. Um, and so we've been, we started off, I don't know, one, two, three different sets of developers we've been through. The last one has been with us, uh, the longest and actually we're, uh, we're looking to take a stake in them as well. Um, but. And, and you outsource this? Yeah, we outsource. So yeah. you have it to a developing app developer. They yeah, make it for Indonesian, you. yeah, yeah. So, right. It's Indonesian company. Yeah, of course. Um, we were in Indonesia. Of course you use Indonesians. <laughs> um, so. Well, for instance, you say that, but 
I know that uh, the big players like Gojek and yeah, Tokopedia, they, they, to India, they right? yeah, they they yeah. either go to India or to other countries yeah, to no, get no, their no. stuff developed. Yeah, I believe in keeping the work here definitely. Okay, but in like in life, we hit a decent personal relationship with this set of developers, and uh, uh, you know, and that it just comes strength to strength. So we actually feel like the part part of the family, part of the team. They were here yesterday. We we're talking about this. They have good input. You know, they're good work. Um, it's really good work. I mean, it's very solid work that they do. Um, we probably have a few glitches in the first week or so. And after that, it, you know, it runs perfectly. And they've done some really clever stuff for us. I mean, I say without the sort of technical background, I say, could we do this and put it in here? And would it work like that? And they sort of look at me and go, what? <laughs> what are you asking me for? Well, can we do it? Let's mm -hmm. break it down. So I think. The developers will be as good as you can direct them to be. So if you give them loose instructions, you'll get something pretty loose. And one of the most pieces of uh, definite piece of advice I will give to anybody here is never allow your developers to design anything in terms of the graphics because <laughs> they haven't got a clue. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, and they really, uh, it's horrible what they do. So we have a really good designer who very who works very closely with the developers. And, you know, we look at the design first and, and then push the process back so we can then break it down for the developer so he can build the various parts to it. And that works great. So the, our developer here accepts that, loves that. He loves our designer. Our designer loves the developer. Everybody's happy. You know, right. we get a really class product now. Yeah. Really, really impressive. Yeah. What what do you would say uh, is your biggest challenge now, uh, where you are in the stage of the company? Is it is it in personnel? Is it in skills? Is it in money? What 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 aspect of the company is the most challenging for you at the moment? I think you always the government is is in especially with the tax uh, department consumes a big portion of your time, and you have to have people to deal with that for you. Um, it's not business friendly in that respect. I mean, you know. So this is interesting because the government here promotes that you can build, you can set up your company quickly. Uh, Foreign-owned <laughs> entities are quick to set up now, uh, and and some of these processes I know have sped up. So, but there's another story to this. Is there's it? a whole different story to it. I don't know anybody who managed to uh, to get anything set up here in less than three months. You know? Okay, that's so you got to take that into account. You've got to take that into account, and then also. If you're transferring money into the company, they want to tax it. <laughs> so yes. you've got to go through a whole bunch of stuff there. You say, well, this is an investment. We're not making any money. So why, are you why do you want to take money off the money we're investing in the country? Right. That's like having it both ways, right? Then you'll, then you'll tax us when we actually make revenue on that as well. So you're clipping it that end and you're clipping it that end. Yeah. Just as all right. And it's not so much, I think, that the rules are not clear, but some of these rules are not really taking into... I think... A lot of the rules here are still uh, made for monies in Indonesia, invested sure. in Indonesia, and not so much for these international structures that we're now all dealing with, whereby yeah. there's a, a subsidiary in uh, Japan, and there's yeah. another you know, supplier yeah. in India, and there's a, a holding company in Australia, right? It's global business now, right? And, and the internet has changed a lot of the way yeah. that, that, that happens. And, uh, and I think here, I don't know if you've experienced that, but especially... The big uh, problems start to happen when money flows in and out oh, of the country, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's a permanent challenge to us. It's uh, you know, and especially uh, the other real big challenge is uh, is the length of holidays here. 
because when you take all the public holidays into account, you're taking into account, you know, the Ramadan period of time. It, 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 when you push all that together, you probably lose two and a half months a year of active work. And this is interesting because officially the holidays are 10 or 12 days per yeah. employee, right? So <laughs> yeah. you would say that's perfect. Yeah, right. <laughs> from an employer point of view. But oh. what you're saying is if you add all the public holidays into that. Yeah, and then you take the fact that, you know, a lot of people like the government did this year, they, they upped it from five to 10 days. So the government, you know, it was 10 working days they were out, which means basically the week before that 10 days and the week after that 10 days is also not much happening. Productive, not productive. You know, non-productive. So if you take that month and you add it to the month of basically holidays, the, the national public holidays, you know, the, the independence, which I'm more than happy as when I was being employed, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> but but there's having to pay out the money, you know, you... Uh, it's a big chunk of money that is that you're still paying out, obviously, with salaries and what have you, overhead and all the rest of it, but you're not getting anything back. Hmm. So, you know, so everything stops. And then getting that momentum back again after these, you know, uh, especially these holidays that, for, you know, that fall on a Thursday. Well, you know, that's it gone till Monday, right? Right. <laughs> and nobody comes in on the, on the Wednesday. There's, and as, you know, I could see it from both sides, but I could tell you it's a big strain on a business. And isn't it? compensating maybe for the fact that wages might be lower here than if you would run this company elsewhere? Well, are they? I'm asking you. I don't <laughs> well, know. I don't you're, you're, you have the up-to-date uh, figures on I, that. Yeah, I don't think they are anymore. I think places like Vietnam, uh, certainly, you know, a very, uh, very good uh, level of, uh, of tech skills there, uh, growing uh, a government that sort of uh, is pretty open to really encouraging business to come in there. So I don't think... There actually is that cheap here in Indonesia. Um, it appears on the face of it, but when you take into account all the extras you've got to pay, um, you know, it's not that cheap. But I love living here, so, you know. You won't go anywhere <laughs> I'm else. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Last thing I will ask you about Rob Shops. What are you most proud of that you've achieved with that company? Uh, the, without doubt, the very first person we found a job for. It was just stunning. Yeah, they were so grateful. Have and, you met that uh, person? Yeah, 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 we did. It Who was, was a, it? What was the job? It's uh, It was a great story, actually. We've got a video on YouTube about it. There's, so there's actually Where can you find it? On robsjobs.co? So if you look on YouTube, Rob's Jobs videos, you'll see right. it there. But uh, a terrific story of a girl who had been uh, borrowed money from the family, came to Jakarta, went all these job fairs, was going back and forwards, lived out in Surabaya, uh, really desperately needed a job. She was the only one who potentially could earn in the family. Um, phoned up, <laughs> phoned up a, a, somebody who worked with us and said, Oh God, I need to find a job. They said, Why don't you use our app? And, uh, very early days. And so she did. And within a week, she found a job, which funnily enough was only 10 kilometers from where she lived in Surabaya. So what was the job? <laughs> um, God, I'm, I'm tempted to say teacher. I'm not quite sure if it was teacher or uh, it, it was something along those lines. I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was teacher. I think it was teacher, kindergarten teacher or something. What did yeah. it do to you when you realized that oh, it yeah, changed somebody's life, basically? It's just stunning. I mean, you just feel like, you know, all the bad times are worth it. You know, you do have bad times. I mean, they're not long for me. I don't really dwell on things too often. But uh, you think, oh, we're onto something here, you know. We are definitely doing something good, you know, and uh, it does make you feel a bit proud of, of yourself, really, I suppose. Um, and I, you know, I have a great affinity with the Indonesian people. I think they're a bunch of happy people, even in really 
pretty adverse situations, a lot of them, you know, the, yeah. the way they have to live and, and everything else. And I think good spirit here, you know, really good spirit, happy people. I'd like happy people. I like being amongst happy people. I am a happy person. <laughs> Definitely. Rob Davis, thank you so much. You're so welcome. the best with robsjobs.co. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, how to best get hold of you? Uh, yeah, Rob at robsjobs.co. Go, uh, go and get in touch with Rob if yeah. you want to know more about Rob's jobs. That's here. Sure. If you want to invest in the company, I'm yeah. sure you're always still open to always got things angels. Do. That's the yep. phase that you're in. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I really appreciate it, your time and uh, you telling your very <laughs> interesting story to me. Thanks, Rob. Nice to see you again. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.